Lisa, I didn't catch the first part, but was that the plaster lady? Yeah. Okay. Tia knows her. Yes. Tia knew her when she was a young angel. They were a class, classmates together. So she's actually a human being and she desperately needs the Lord. But she goes to church every Okay. I'm going to take kind of a roundabout way of getting to the, the point that we've already sung a lot about this morning. So we're probably going to circle right back to the things that we've already spoken. But hopefully they will have um, a deeper meaning in our hearts, um, having looked again at the story of Joseph. So I, I know a lot of you all weren't here when we talked about this story a few weeks back. So I'm going to just give the Reader's Digest version of the first part of it, and then we'll talk about the rest of the story. So Joseph uh, had lots of encounters with his brothers, but Joseph, when he was a teenager, as you recall, um, turned out to be the father's favorite. And everybody knew he was the father's favorite. And um, to make it worse, he had dreams that he told his brothers about that made them hate him even more so much so that as you know he they sold him into slavery and then he ended up in Egypt Uh, he became a servant in the house of Potiphar Uh, Joseph was a man of integrity he did all things well the Bible repeatedly says and and the Lord was with him and so he did all things well he was responsible and trustworthy Potiphar raised him to uh, be really in charge of all his stuff Potiphar's wife accused him unjustly. He was thrown into prison. Uh, While he was in prison, he did the same thing he always does. The jailer found him trustworthy, found him responsible, put him in charge of many things. Um, You know, a couple of the Pharaoh's servants were thrown in jail, the baker and the cupmaker. And um, he correctly interpreted their dreams and asked the cupbearer to remember me now when you get out and the cupbearer didn't for two years he stayed in jail and then finally the pharaoh had a dream as you remember no one could interpret it then this then joseph is remembered he comes out he interprets the dream he kind of gives some wisdom in the interpretation and he goes from being in jail to being the second in command in all of egypt and his responsibility is to Save grain for seven years, so they have grain for seven years of famine that was interpreted in the dream. During the early part of the famine, Joseph's brothers who lived in Canaan uh, were hungry. So dad says, let's go to Egypt, get us some grain. They come to Egypt. Joseph recognizes his brothers. He tests his brothers. uh, And then he finally reveals himself to his brothers and says, listen, I want you to go home and get our dad and bring him back here. Well, there's five more years of famine. Bring the whole family here. I will take care of you. You can live in the land. And so he sends his brothers home. He tells them not to quarrel on the way. Uh, We talked about that and what that means for us today as far as quarrels. We talked about the fact that when we do quarrel, um, James says that the reason is not the person we're quarreling with, but our own selfish desires, which is kind of a hard thing to 
embrace and believe. And we're going to look at another thing today that's kind of hard to embrace and believe. But um, So they went home. They told their dad exactly what had happened years ago, how they had deceived their dad and that Joseph was alive and God was with him. And now he was the second in command and he wanted his whole family to come to Egypt. So Jacob says, okay, like, and he's, he's kind of like what he says, I'll pray about it. So Jacob doesn't go on Joseph's word. He goes on God's word because Jacob remembered that God told his dad, Isaac, during the famine, during that time of his life, don't go down to Egypt. He also remembers about the promise to Abraham that his people would be in slavery for a long, long time, but God was going to give them this very land that he's living in. So he didn't want to be the one that set all that in motion, but God said, I want you to go. So he goes. There's a great reunion with um, Joseph, and the whole family settles in Goshen, a part of Egypt. And Jacob lives there for 17 years before he dies. But right before he dies, Jacob blessed all his sons, and this is not um, this is not something that we're going to talk about today. But it's food for thought for anybody that's a parent today, since we do everything equally for everybody. This caught me at my attention. It says Jacob blessed everyone with a blessing appropriate for him. Um, something to think about. That's another message. We'll deal with that some other day. Um, so any, and he also blessed Joseph's grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. But then Jacob died, so um, Joseph and his brothers take Jacob back to Canaan and bury him in the land of promise. So we want to kind of pick up the st- story there for today's lesson. So they're on their way back after mourning their father's death. They head back from Canaan, back to Egypt. The brothers to live in Goshen and Joseph to to continue with his job of being the second in command in the whole country and so they're on their way back and I'm sure they had lots and lots of thoughts but I'm sure also they probably remember the story that their dad told him about his brother Esau and the fact that you know he his dad Jacob deceived Esau and stole his blessing from from his father Isaac, and so Esau was really mad about this. Uh, and the rumor around the family was it was when Isaac dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. I'm going to kill my brother because he stole my blessing. And so I'm sure they all remembered this. And obviously, Jacob's mom sent Jacob away to to get a wife, but to to get away from Esau Esau at the time. So. Here they are, they're heading back, and we're going to read the scripture in um, Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 14 for our scripture today. Genesis 50, 14. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who had gone up with him, 
to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? And as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph had forgiven his brothers when they encountered him and he hugged them and wept with them when he revealed himself to him. And now dad is gone. And guilt has been revived. Guilt has been revived for these guys. So whatever faith they had in Joseph's promise soon became fear based on the guilt that they now felt. What I want to do is talk about this whole concept of forgiveness this morning um, a little bit. Because, you know, the devil loves to depress and attack us with a review of our past sins, doesn't he? And, you know, if, if he doesn't, you know, we sometimes bring him up to ourselves, right? We remember those things. Um, this year. Um, and, you know, so the thing I wanted to stress about this, and this is a little bit of a leap, but, you know, when the father was gone, then guilt began to revive with these guys. They were fearful of what was going to happen. And, you know, I was just thinking about the things that Greg shared last week about abiding in the vine in John 15, the importance of abiding and, and the fact that when we aren't abiding, when we tend to move away from, or that relationship is, is not nurtured and kept firm, um, it is a little bit like the father's gone. We, we're the ones that have left, but... It's in that particular kind of place that we find ourselves open to attack from the enemy. When we don't maintain that relationship, we're a lot more open to being accused of things that we've already been forgiven for and brought up to us, right? Uh, maybe I'm the only one that experiences this. Anybody else ever been there? I guess I'm the only one. Well, Lisa, thank you for being honest. Um and, and so, you know, I, I was just thinking about that, the importance of, of, of 
Not only do you become unfruitful in, in, the, in the, um, the, the uh, fruit that God wants in our life, but we become unfruitful in our ability to combat the enemy and his accusations. Uh, you know, we, our, our faith weakens. You know, he's able to attack us in those particular places. And um, so I just really felt like, you know, today I wanted to look at this whole concept of forgiveness that we forget his promises. Uh, I just want to read a few of those promises to you, just to remind you. Because um, what happens is, that as we we see ourselves outside of that relationship, we see ourselves outside of the robe of righteousness that Christ has given us, and then we're so susceptible to uh, falling prey to that particular guilt that comes from things we've already been forgiven for. Um, but here's some here's some of the promises. Ephesians 1, 7, really close to the scripture that um, Bill read earlier this morning. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. What is that redemption? That redemption is the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You know, Bill's already mentioned that this morning. In him, we have redemption, re- redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1.13 He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, comma, the forgiveness of sins. That's what redemption is. It's forgiving of sins. Psalms 134 but in you, you being God, in you there is forgiveness, that you, God, may be feared. You know, when you realize that there's somebody ultimately you're accountable to, that you're going to answer to, um, then you consider what you have to answer for. Um, there's, there's reason to be fearful of that judgment to come. Um, so there's one reason that we should fear him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from some unrighteousness. But my Bible says all unrighteousness. So the, the issue is that guilt, if we don't stand on those promises, if we don't stay resolved in... In, in what he's promised can move into shame. And then we just want to hide or we want to hide that aspect of our life. And so receiving God's forgiveness is not just this thing that we do in our mind with our mind. If you believe something, you act on what you really believe on. So believing something, if you really believe it, means that you have really received it, that you really are forgiven and the devil has no ground to take us in those places of accusation but a lot of times we don't forgive ourselves you know and when you don't forgive yourself when god's forgiven you you basically are discrediting his word and his promise they're discrediting the sacrifice that he's made for us um and sometimes it's just because of sheer pride. Have you ever said, I can't believe I, I, I did that? Have you ever said that? 
I can't believe it. I, I can't believe I can't believe I thought that. Well, that's thinking that you're better than you really are. Basically, you know, I know I'm better than that, but we're really we're not, you know. Right. And so we we bring ourselves to reality, you know. Or we think we're not as sinful as the next guy. You know, Greg thinks that about himself when it's compared to me, you know. But, you know, and then sometimes we think we don't need forgiveness at all. But, you know, that's kind of in a place where you don't ever believe you're really accountable to anybody. And so I don't say all these things to make us feel bad about ourselves um, or to pull us down. But I want to help you love God more. You know, Bill asked a question in the uh, worship time last week. He says, what do you think about the love of God? And different people answered that question. And everybody pretty much marvels at the love of God. And we should. Because, you know, you think about, um, here's a God, and it's a great thing to be forgiven. But how much do you have to love somebody to forgive them? How much do you have to love somebody to forgive them? What is the length and the breadth and the depth that God went to to forgive? I don't know. We, you know, I can forgive somebody if they do something a couple, three times, but day after day, time after time, totally rebellious. It's kind of hard to love that person and really forgive them, isn't it? You know? And so we, we are standing in awe of the love of God, but how about our love for him, what is the measure of that? What is the measure of love for for God? Um, well, there, you know, it's easy to say. Well, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll just obey me. But what I'm getting at today, what's the driver? What's the motivation behind obedience? Well, I think there are two things. There's fear. There should be fear. There should also be forgiveness. And I'm going, to read a, I'm going to read a parable to you. I would tell it, but it's just so much more effective if it's read. And if you want to turn to that parable and follow along, it's Luke 7, 36 through 50. Luke 7, 36 through 50. Because we know God loves us. What we're working at for the rest of our life is learning to love Him. Learning to love God. And I think if you can get there today, you'll love Him more. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him. And Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Pretty desperate to come into a place like that when you're a woman of the street to come into there. And she kept wiping his feet with the hair of her head and kissing his feet 
and anointing them with perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, the Pharisee said to himself, If this man Jesus were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon replied, Say it, teacher. A money lender, money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one whom he gave more. And Jesus said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? In other words, have you even seen her yet? Do you really see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Read this next sentence. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little... Loves little. I'm going to stop right there because that's the point I want to make. Have you been forgiven much? Oh yeah, I've been forgiven so much. Have you ever considered yourself to be a wretch? I think that word was even in one of the songs we sang this morning. Yeah. Wretch? Amazing grace that saved a wretch like Jimmy. No. Me. Mike. Have you ever considered yourself a wretch? Have you ever considered yourself bad to the bone? Have you ever identified with the cartoon character Gru in the cartoon Despicable Me? Despicable me. You got to get there, folks. Well, when you know you've been forgiven much, you can love God much. But if you never see you for who you really are, um, the best you can do is love Him out of fear and maybe a little bit of the forgiveness you've been given. He who's forgiven little loves little. So I, today I just want to encourage everybody take the time to see yourself outside of the mercy of God. Outside of the, the saving grace of Christ Himself. You know, it's not that, it's like Greg so tenderly uh, corrected me after one of my messages about that I was righteous. It's an alien righteousness. It's, it's the righteousness of Christ that he gives us. That we have a right standing 
before God because of this sacrifice that he has made through Christ. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a judicial decision that, that God makes. Here's the punishment. You believe in this, you're not guilty. It says in Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And then there's a word written after that. Selah, which means think about this. Meditate on this. Think about this. Forgave the guilt of my sin. So he makes this judicial decision and the righteousness that Jesus had, he now gives to us based on our faith in the work that Christ did. So does God just make this decision without any emotion? I mean, is it just a... Okay, he's the judge. Here's the laws. Yes, everything's been done. Yep, you're forgiven. Move on, next case, next person. Or, or is there any emotion in this whole realm of forgiveness that God has? I'm not going to take the time to read it, but I believe that there is. If you want to read the parable in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, um, there is emotion there. He tells this whole story because Peter's, look, this guy's, how many times I got to forgive this guy? You know, he says 70 times 7. But then he goes and tells this story about a king who, a man comes to him that, that owes him 10,000 talents. The man falls down before him and says, I will pay, I will pay it. Just have mercy, give me patience, I will pay. 10,000 talents is more than any of us could earn in three lifetimes. A talent, we're talking about bars of gold kind of debts. 10,000 talents. Um, and, the, and the king looks down and he has compassion. So when you're repentant, it, it evokes emotion from God. He has compassion on this man and he says, you don't have to pay it. Go be with your family. I forgive you. Well, this guy, I mean, he just was out, out from under the weight that he would never be able to repay. What does he do? He goes out, he grabs his family, they rejoice. No, what does he do? He goes and he finds somebody that owes him 100 denarii. This is like a gold bar to a dime. 10,000 of these to 100 of these. Grabs him by the neck and starts choking him and says, you got to pay me. You got to pay me the hundred you owe me. Well, you know, word gets back to the king about this, who has forgiven this man of this huge debt. Now, this is a story about forgiveness because Peter's asked this question. And here's what the scripture says the king, the, the motion of the king was this it says, he, and the king moved to anger through the guy in jail. And then the whole thing ends this way. Each of you does not forgive his brother. No, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not 
forgive his brother from your heart. From your heart. I said some things are hard to believe about ourselves and it's really hard to believe you're as bad as you really are. But if you can get there and you can see the magnitude of the 10,000 talents that you have been forgiven of, you won't love little anymore. You won't love little anymore. Um, You know, to get up here and talk, whoever it is, I know for me, Bill, Greg, Roger, whomever it is, we're not up here just to give you some more information about the Bible, an information download so you can answer some trivia questions at the next party you're at or something. But we're here because we care about you, we love you, and we're concerned about your welfare. Um, I don't like being under God's bright light all week long about being, whether I've been forgiven, understanding this forgiveness, or forgiven somebody that I'm holding something against. Um, but we do it because we want you to respond, not, not to me, but what are, what's going on in your mind and in your heart and your being? What's God doing with you today or last Sunday or next Sunday? So every time there's a message, the point is not information, but an opportunity for you all to respond. I've already responded all week long. So, so do you need to embrace forgiveness? Really? For something in the past? Do you need to forgive somebody? Do you need to ask for forgiveness that you've never asked for forgiveness from God? Bill is the gift to our fellowship. He's going to come and he's going to lead us in a response because I I told him earlier, I said, Bill, I can can say something, but you're ten times better at helping us get through it. So um, I will, one song that's been in my heart, uh, it's an old song, probably before most of you were born, but anyway... It's one we used to sing a long time ago. Only the blood of Jesus covers most of my sin. That's it. I won't sing it. We'll just sing it. Do we have the words for it in the book? Yeah, page 10. Page 10. Turn to page 10. Bill's coming. Respond to whatever the Lord is saying to you today. Today is not a day to harden our heart. I guess we should definitely sing this song today. Huh? Page 10. Um, I just want to piggyback something on top of what Preston just said about forgiveness. Um, the Bible teaches us that uh, God spoke the universe into being. Let there be light. That the heavens and earth exist, that dry ground appear, that the vegetation come up, that the animals and he made God, he made man in his own image. He, but he spoke that into being. He, it just simply took God speaking that for it to come to pass. I mean, that's pretty remarkable, right? 
But when God wanted to redeem a people for himself and forgive them, it wasn't just a matter of God saying, you're forgiven. I want you to draw, you to draw the comparison of the creation of the heavens and the earth to how he was, how we receive forgiveness. No. God could not say you're forgiven. There, there is a reality of what God, when God spoke the heavens and the earth into, into being, there's a reality there. And Jesus had to enter into that reality. He had to become a man. He had to live a perfect life. He had to be willing to die for us, for me. He had to be willing to take my sins upon himself. It wasn't just a matter of him speaking, you're forgiven. He had to enter into the world, into flesh and blood, and to live perfection before God. And then take my sins. And then he says, if you believe this, then I will forgive you. Compare how difficult it was for God to create heavens and the earth for how difficult it was for God to provide forgiveness. The second, the second part of the story is, did Jesus, you think about the weight of your sins, did Jesus overpay? Did he get a bad deal? Did he pay too much for your sins? Or maybe Jesus got a great, maybe they were, your sins were on sale that day and Jesus underpaid. This is heresy. This is stupid to think of this way. Jesus had to die. The payment was high. The cost was high. So that we might be forgiven. He didn't overpay for my sins. It took every ounce of life he had. And he certainly didn't underpay for my sins. He fully paid for my sins. Therefore, I can forgive other people because he's forgiven me. You with me on this? This is what forgiveness is. Jesus has made it possible for us to forgive others. And if we go to God and say, God, would you forgive me? God forgives us. We can't go to God and say, oh, my sin was so bad. That meant Jesus underpaid for you. Well, he didn't underpay for you. He paid everything for you. Therefore, we can forgive other people as well. Uh, this song is sort of a lead into our communion time. Two quick things before you get going. Okay. All right. We're going to have a tag team. Yes, we do. No, just one part of one verse in John. And it says... For the Father himself loves you because you love me. You love Jesus, the Father automatically loves you. And what, what I saw in the early part of what Preston was saying, when Joseph gets sold into slavery, he goes to Potiphar's house, who is the, one of the authorities in Egypt, and it says, the Lord was with him. The Lord's with him, and he's a slave in Potiphar's house. And then he gets thrown in prison. And God says, the Father is with you. The Lord is with you. And you go, how in the world, if God is with me, am I a slave in this man's house? And if God is with me, how in the world am I a slave in prison? 
And then he tells these two people that are in prison with him the things that are going to happen. They get out of prison. One of them gets killed and the other one goes to Pharaoh. And it's two more years before the guy remembers. And God says, I'm with you. And you're going, you know, God, if you keep being with me, I'm going to die. <laughs> but the thing is, just like Julio was talking about, just because God is with you does not mean that he's going to instantly answer your prayers and everything's going to be wonderful from our point of view. It means God is doing something. And you don't like what's going on right now, but the other side of it is really going to be good. And we just have to keep focused on the fact that God is good all the time. And he won't fail. Preston, can we incorporate communion into this? Greg, why don't you and Preston come up and let's... uh...